Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Brad. Uh, I want to thank for the uh, lovely introduction earlier. I've been with you a couple weeks, and I'm excited to be up here um, sharing with you guys today. You know, I'm impressed by the quality of these videos. You know, I'm only talking one week, but Gilbert made me a video and everything, and I think that's pretty awesome. <laughs> so he, he puts a lot of work into those things, man, and I think it's amazing. All right, I want to see if you guys can recognize this sound. You can shout it out if you know what it is. I'm surprised so many people haven't. Don't know. I see a lot of phones out there. <laughs> yeah, this is a this is just the basic uh, ringtone for an iPhone. Um, you know, I, it's a pretty common thing nowadays. I think to have a smartphone, but I didn't get one until Christmas of 2013. It was just over a little a year ago, and uh, you know, being a young adult, I feel that's surprising. I was the only person out of my friends in college who had a had a dumb phone, and. <laughs> And I, you know, heard about it, but you know, I got this thing for Christmas. Me and my sisters and my mom, we all got one because it was like a family plan. And I was so pumped to have it. I had, you know, I never had to use MapQuest ever again. Never had to print out directions. That was a big deal. I got to download all the apps that I use on my computer all the time. I had Reddit and Facebook and Instagram, Netflix on my phone. You know, they were available to me whenever I wanted, and uh, I, I thought that was so cool. And you know, my phone is a good tool. Uh, but so many times I find out, I, you know, just from using it or whatever, it ends up being just like a black hole. You know, how many times I find myself wanting to pay attention to homework or something and I just sit here scrolling. You know, and the deal is, like, it doesn't give me back any real satisfaction. Like, I can, all these apps, like, I can scroll forever, as long as I want, hours, to the point where I've seen everything already. And yet I still keep scrolling. Maybe there's something new this time. Maybe there's something new this time. And, you know, it, it doesn't provide me any real satisfaction. Like, and there's times for me in my walk with God in my life where my phone and, you know, other, you know, similar technology, maybe it's my computer, maybe it's my Xbox given, on the, given the week, you know, it's damaging to me in my walk with God. You know, I, I go to sin, spend time with God, I sit down, you know, away from everything else, and all of a sudden I hear that noise. And, you know, I, I just... Reminds me of like a monkey with a xylophone or something. But the thing is, I go right toward it. I look right at it. You know, it pulls me in. I mean, that's what it's supposed to do. But the thing is, like, you know, even if I turn it on silent, the screen lights up. And it's like Siri's yelling, hey, look at me. Like, don't, don't listen to God. Don't pay attention to God. You know, look at me right now. I'm more important. The thing is, it ends up being so often just a source of noise. You know, it's a worldly voice a worldly thing that will pull me away from my time with God and will damage my, my goals in, in, in looking out for him or looking for him. It will damage my ability to listen to him and hear him because it is such a distraction and just because it pulls me away. You know, I think we all have something like that. You know, I've spent time with you guys out in the lobby. I know a lot of you have your phones taking pictures of everything, scrolling down. Like Whenever there's a break in conversation, the first thing you do is look down. And you know that's the case. If you're walking in the hallways at school, you look down to not make eye contact with that person going the other way. Like That's just what happens. And it, you know, it, could be a, it, could, it could be something else. It could be your TV, you know, your job, just a worry that you have. Uh, you know, that, but we spend so much time focusing on these other things that we don't spend time reading the Bible on our own, which is a big shame you know, because God uses the Bible in incredible ways in our life if we let him. 
Okay, so we're going to look at the story of Elijah uh, in 1 Kings chapter 19 to get some insights on a few different ways that God can use the Bible in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at 1 Kings 19, starting at verse 13. And if not, the key verses are going to be up on the screen. But here's some context leading up to this moment. Okay, at this point in history, Israel is being led by King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, who both worship a false god named Baal. And as a result, and as a result of the king and queen worshiping this false god, the majority of the country has started to follow Baal as well. And Elijah, who's God's prophet, you know, one of the good guys, he challenges King Ahab to this contest to see whose god is the real one, Baal or God. Now the prophets of Baal and Elijah, basically they, they both prepare an altar, you know, they prepare a wooden altar and a bull for the offering, which means they, they make a big pile of wood, big wood altar, they butcher the bull, cut it up, put it on the top, and then the contest is to see whose god will light the fire. So the followers of Baal, they go first. You know, they build their altar, they chop, they chop the bull up, put it on it, and then they do all these weird dances and ceremonies and stuff, like trying to get the, their god, Baal, to light the fire. And you see, and then, you know, nothing happens. Okay, so now Elijah is incredibly confident that God will act, and you know, he knows what's going to happen. So he, like, he taunts them. As they're dancing around, he's like, hey, maybe he's asleep. He needs to be woken up. You know, I can imagine, you know, the Snickers not in the Bible, but I can imagine him like laughing on the inside for what he just said, like, got him. <laughs> okay, so then it's Elijah's turn. He builds an altar. You know, his is over here. That's theirs. He builds an altar to God, and he puts these 12 stones around it, signifying the 12 tribes of Israel. And he, uh, he puts the bull on the altar, and then he has all the, follow- the followers of Baal put water on the altar. Um, to make it, you know, make it harder for the fire. And so they get these huge jugs of water, and then they dump it on, and whoop, they dump it on, and then he's like, no, do it three times. So they put the water on three times, so much so that there's this little moat around, around the altar that, that uh, is filled with water now. And so when this is done, when the altar is set up like this, soaking wet, uh, Elijah sits down and prays, that God would reveal himself to everyone there. And in response to this, God recreates this huge pillar of fire, <laughs> comes down and burns the whole thing and evaporates all of the water, so, which is pretty awesome for Elijah. I mean, he would have been pumped, man. Like, see that? <laughs> and so Queen Jezebel, who is notorious for her wickedness, does not take the embarrassment of losing this contest very well. So she threatens to kill Elijah, she says something along the lines of, by the next day, if I don't have your head, I will be like the altar that's just destroyed. You know, which is pretty big, which is not an empty threat, because she is a very murderous person, this queen. So Elijah runs for his life, uh, hides in a cave, and that's where we find him here in chapter 19, far away from Jezebel and those who serve, serve her. So let's, we're going to read from verse 13, and this is God initiating this conversation. And he says, uh, And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. Then the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. 
in these words to Elijah, we can see that for us, God uses the Bible to bring peace beyond circumstances. All right, let's take a look at what is getting to Elijah. He's sitting alone in this cave. He just experienced this amazing display of God's power, fire roaring out of the sky. He hears this, this voice, you know, for him and the thing that pulled him away from God, he hears Jezebel's voice. And then he's immediately and understandably, you know, I, I believe, filled with fear. The people of Israel don't follow you anymore, God. I'm the only one who does, and they're trying to kill me. I'm alone. And the words that God speaks to Elijah, they cut straight to his heart. He says, go back. There are 7,000 others who, who still follow me. You are not alone. How often is it that we are in Elijah's spot? When we're consumed by a doubt or a worry or a frustration. You know, God's words cut straight to Elijah's situation, right to where he was at. And they do the same for us. John 14, 26 and 27 says, But when the Father sends the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. When, Jesus, when you ask Jesus to be the leader of your life, the Spirit of God lives in you, and with it comes a peace that only God can provide. You know, there's a worldly peace that we can have when everything's going well. You know, for me, it was like, oh, you know, my grades are good, all my papers are done, I can just sit here and relax. I feel, feel pretty good. You know, and, and that is not a sustainable peace. You know, there's always going to be more papers, or there's always going to be student loans that are due. Unfortunately, <laughs> you know these, these these are worldly things that are not sustaining peace. But when the the peace that Jesus gives us is a totally different quality of peace, you know it makes us peaceful and calm when natural reasoning says that we should be upset or angry or frustrated. You know when we feel like Elijah did, you know scared or worried or alone, God's word reminds us that He is looking out for us. It reminds us that our God is a God who has power over all things and cares for the way that we feel. God experiences our sufferings alongside us and will always help us overcome them. When we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God by reading the Bible and by praying, we're reminded that we don't have to be troubled or afraid. Okay, point two. Every time we read the Bible... God uses it to give us a better picture of who he is. Okay, so now we're going to read how God first initiated that conversation with Elijah, starting in uh, chapter 19, verse 11, 1 Kings. It said, Elijah stood there. The Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. (laughs) But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was another fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. 
And here it picks up where we, where we started before. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Imagine again what Elijah is thinking at this point. You know, just a little while ago, he was so confident in God's power and protection that he was taunting the servants of the false god, laughing at them despite, you know, they're, they're not safe to be around. <laughs> Yet here he is, a short time later, he, after he heard Jezebel's voice, he's filled with fear for his life, feeling completely alone and discouraged. Yet the first thing that God says to him is a very gentle, what are you doing here, Elijah? And when Elijah explains the way he feels, uh, to, God's response is, is not to chastise him for disobeying and going away where, when he told him to minister to these people, but it's to calmly reveal a bit of his nature, of who he is. God didn't speak to Elijah in the storm or the earthquake or the fire. He, you know, even though he displayed his power through that massive firestorm earlier on, that's not what he did this time when he was speaking to Elijah. He was calm. He was quiet. He was very intimate, very personal. He spoke right into the situation that Elijah was experiencing. You know, he even asked Elijah to explain how he felt, even though he already knew. You know, our God wants to have that kind of relationship with us. He loves us so much that he sacrificed his son on the cross for us, not only that we would spend eternity with him in heaven, but that we can live a restored life alongside him, alongside him now, here on earth. And God wants us to live a life where we invite him to speak into the situations that we face every day. God wants to speak to all the doubts and the worries and all the fears we experience. And another thing, God speaking in a still, small voice to Elijah shows that the work of God in our lives is not, is not always accompanied by a big, dramatic spiritual moment. You know, it's fun to, to mimic the fire and because it's such a huge thing or to shake in the earthquake. And although we, uh, we feel shaken a lot of times we are not always going to be you know there's not always going to be a huge spiritual thing that that saves us you know the work of god in our lives um, just because we can't always see it when something troubling is happening doesn't mean we can't you know look back in hindsight and be there there that's where he was you can't you know can see that's where he was that's where he was working of and uh, i'm a very short-sighted person at times i often am like where are you right now god but you know, he's still working even when I can't always see it. And it only takes me later to realize that's where he was, though he was there with me the whole time. Yeah, he speaks to us through this same gentle, small voice he, he used to speak to Elijah. It can be very difficult to hear at first, but the more you practice listening to it by reading your Bible, by praying, uh, the better you'll become at hearing it. And here, here's why this is so important. Here's why the Bible study is so important. The more we read our Bible, the more our understanding of God's love for us and for other people grows. And it's this understanding and experience of God's love that will motivate us to share it and serve other people. 1 John 4, 7-8 says this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. When we experience God's love, we are changed in a way that allows us to share that love with other people. The third thing is this. 
God uses the Bible to transform us. All right, so we're going to finish up in 1 Kings 19 by reading what happens immediately after God and Elijah's conversation. It says, So Elijah went. Very short, very simple, but it demonstrates exactly what happens when we connect with God. Elijah was refreshed and transformed by his encounter. He was no longer overwhelmed by the fear and doubt that he had before. He was able to continue on with the calling that God had given him, and interestingly enough, he quickly, as in like the next verse, found Elisha, who would be, who's the man who would become his student and companion, you know, fellowshipping him with him in all the work that he was doing for God's kingdom. He was able to continue serving God and reach out to others with that same confidence that we had seen before. Now, when we get in a rut, you know, in the way Elijah was, our time reading the Bible, reading the Word, is key for us to get out, for us getting out of it. When you feel like you're losing your faith or your confidence in the fact that God is working your life, He will use the Word to remind you of who He is, and will convict you of what you need to change. Our Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen says, "All Scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us." what is true, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us uh, when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. All right, so this is, this is how it is for me in my own walk. You know, whenever I go to read the Bible and I ask God to show me something that I need to change, he will show it quickly without fail. You know, I, in like, he will show me in an instant, man, and, and there's many times when he convicts, convicts me of something I need to change, and I don't want to be convicted. You know, I'm reading, I'm just being stubborn, like, you know, put it in the back of my head, say I know, something I know I need to change. He tells me about it, and I say, you know, tell me something else. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, I've, I'm stubborn like that sometimes. But he, he's, he's faithful to show me what I need to change. You know, I, but the thing is, like, he knows that I need this conviction to move. Like, if I already know about this thing, that I'm just hiding. Of course he needs to remind me for me to do something. There's so many things. It's so easy for us to put put away something like, you know, put away repairing a relationship or or put away, uh, you know, confessing a sin, put away repenting for, some, for something for a moment. Uh, it's so easy for us to do that. But God knows that I personally need that second conviction, that continuing conviction to change, to motivate me to move. And I also need it so that when something troubling comes along, I don't retreat into a cave like Elijah did. You know, when we apply the Bible to our lives, we become more like Jesus, not only in that we are more loving and selfless to other people, but we become more bold and more confident in God's work in our lives. We are spurred to move forward with the work that God is calling us to do as individuals and as a community for, the, for his kingdom. Okay, so what are some next steps for us thinking about this, this section? Number one, uh, set aside time to read your Bible every day. And, you know, I personally, uh, I, have, I have to use this one. I, can't, I mean, I have a Bible app on my phone, but I've, you know, I've already expressed the, the hazard with that. Uh, it, there's too many things, you know, double-click on the home button, scroll over, up, I don't know any notifications, okay, I can go back. Like, I can't do, I can't do it on my phone. Um, 
You know, and it's up for us to, to set up a time every day, and we have to remove the distractions. Uh, for, you know, maybe it means delaying that episode of Netflix till a little while later, you know, stop streaming it for three hours, if you're the kinds of people who do that. <laughs> or, you know, maybe it means, uh, maybe it means taking turns watching, watching, the, watching the kids with a spouse so that both of you have some opportunity to have that alone time. Or maybe it, you know, heck, you can even get the kids involved. That, that would be a novel idea, I think. Um, for me, my phone is upside down, silent, and out of arm's reach. And, you know, the same with all my other little technology that I get so engrossed in. And here's the second thing. Uh, share what you've read with someone else. You know, remember from last week we were talking about we were trying to leave Egypt and we were trying to take other people with us. Uh, find someone you can share with. Share, uh, share what you've been reading. Share your convictions. You know, the goal is to keep each other accountable. If you're sharing it with someone else, both of you can encourage each other through the tough situations, through times where you feel like you're not moving or times where you're just maybe maybe sick of, sick of uh, something that's going on in your life and you need each other to pray for. You know, share your convictions and both of you will be changed. And the Bible is essential in our lives because it gives us life. God uses these words to speak right into our hearts, right to our situations where we are. And he reminds us that he is walking beside us every uh, step of the way. So let's pray. Um, Father God, uh, we can form, come before you awe in awe and amazed that you are a God who cares about us. Lord, you reach into our lives. You stand beside us. You experience our suffering alongside us, and you love us, Lord. We are so grateful for that. Lord, you are a good and awesome God. Lord, we just pray um, that your spirit would resonate among us this week. Help us to be able to search for you in our daily lives. Help us to see where you're moving in our lives when so often we tend to overlook it. Father God, thank you so much for uh, your love for us and just for all the things that you do to reach out to us, even when at times we don't want to be reached out to. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.